You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back. Today, we continue with William. He will share more about the pain of his powerlessness over other people, especially those he loves. Let's get back to William. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. It's so hard to let go of other people, particularly those that you love. And, you know, and and so I got a real lesson sort of through the back door. You don't have to have a substance use issue to have a codependency issue. My codependency issue proved to be much harder for me to come to terms with and live with than than substances, quite frankly. And I would, as I said, I learned that with Allison and I learned that with our children. I think that's so empowering for my audience to hear. You know, I think they cannot imagine their loved one who has a substance use disorder ever having to do anything more difficult than maintain abstinence and find recovery. And to hear you as a person who has had that path and journey and is on that continuously, but to have you say that is so validating of their experience. Kendley, it's a little easier for me to talk about it with you here today on the podcast than it has been for me to write about it. And I I have struggled mightily. I have a contract with Penguin Random House in New York for a follow-up memoir. The working title is called Beyond Broken. The rest of the story, my the evolution and revolution of my journey from addiction to recovery and beyond. Uh, and the point of it, and I can't get it done. In three years, it's sitting over there behind me. I know we're not on video, but I, the, the two binders on the shelf over there have got two different versions of the, of the manuscript, and it's still sitting there. I used to think that if I found recovery, I would find the end of the rainbow. That was where the pot of gold was, right? Well, I mean, listen, recovery is great. It sure beats the alternative, but it's hard. It's hard because we have to go through the thing called life, and life is really hard even though it has a lot of good things about it. You know, what is life about? Life is about beautiful sunrises, but it's also about bitter cold temperatures. It's about the birth of a baby and the death of a parent. It's about um, uh, the joy of fatherhood and the um, the angst of old age. Uh, and, and all of those things happen to all people and it happens to people in recovery too, right? And so this whole thing about life on life's terms is it's easy to say it, it's easy to think it, life on life terms, but it's much harder to live it. And that has been the experience I've had since I came out of that crack house in October of 94. Some of the things that have happened to me um, are happened to me beyond my control. Some of those things that have happened to me are because of my own human frailties. And it's how I respond to all of those things as a man in recovery that um, sort of define my recovery and thus define my life. So I'm, so I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning. I think that's the key to recovery. It's it's easy to let go of substances. It's hard to stay let going up. We go to treatment treatments. Listen, as hard as treatment can be for a lot of us, it's, it's easy because it's the beginning. It's the rest. That's kind of hard. (laughs) And I think that William, what you speak to is my sponsor says it to me this way, when you're uh, ripe, you're rotting. When you're green, you're growing. 
right? And so my thing is I want to stay green. And one of the beautiful things about this podcast is I get the chance to hear from other people walking this path, wherever their path is, and and little glimmers of nuggets to work my own program better, healthier, stronger. I think the powerlessness over a loved one slowly declining in their, as you mentioned, aging parents Mm -hmm. or addiction or uh, mental illness or another chronic health illness. There is nothing more powerless than watching and not being able to make the trajectory change. And yet, having just recently lost my mom to dementia and a stroke and so forth, and that journey was a long one until she passed, I didn't find myself resisting or fighting that I couldn't make it different for her. <clears throat> but yet what brought me to my knees in Al-Anon and needing that program was the love of my life at that time was not well and I couldn't make him well. But I came to the rooms to make him well. Yeah, I, I did the same thing, you know. I, 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 so what a, what a noble cause, right, to go to, go to Al-Anon to to fix my marriage and fix my wife. And what a humbling experience to fail at those, but to come to that realization that all I can fix is me. And, and so I think that realization that I, that I, that I can still be fixed is all about some humility, even though I can sort of lead with my ego a lot, lead with my head. Uh, I am still teachable. There is that story in Broken I did not know how it would apply later on in my life, but that story in Broken, when I was talking to my mentor in recovery, Bob C. in Atlanta, he was an anchor for CNN where I was working at the time. And he was a recovering man who took me under his wing. And I went to his house one day and I was just sort of like frustrated with things. And I said, Bob, is there any room for ego in recovery? And he said, yes, William, but only if you remain teachable. I said, oh, well, I had no idea that that remaining teachable would apply way more to the rest of my life than it did to my struggles with substances mm -hmm. um, and my sort of convincing myself. I used to always think that I knew what was best for me in treatment. Oh, who was I? You know, and I think that's sort of the weird part about we always talk about addiction being a, a, a chronic a treatable illness with no cure yet. Um, but it's so unlike other illnesses because we sort of convince ourselves that we know what's best for us. And so we can be sitting in the world-renowned Hazelin Foundation, as I was in 1989, and then again in 91, listening to these wise counselors and family therapists talking about this and that. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that makes sort of sense, but I know how to do that better. I remember being in the audience as a patient listening to the lectures in Bigelow and Bigelow is the auditorium at Hazelden in center city where speakers are. And I used to sit down there all the time as a patient thinking to myself, man, if I could get up there, I could really tell these people how to do it. I mean, what was I thinking? And so I think the key for us, whether we're recovering people, codependents, whatever is to recognize that while we have good brains on our shoulders, we have got to remain teachable, not just through the treatment experience or the early days of codependency recovery, but for this lifetime, because we're going to have lots of teachable moments. Thank you for being a listener of the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Help us continue to grow. Please go to the Apple Podcasts and write a review. And if you're interested, 
Go to my Facebook page, Embrace Family Recovery LLC, where you can also write a review. Algorithms matter. Please help us reach more people who could be benefited from this podcast. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. It's actually funny when you're sharing that story. That was the biggest awakening for me in my recovery with food addiction. Was sitting in a meeting, taking inventory of other people speaking, and how I could do it better when I'm going home and binging. Yeah. And also the the pain of that truth, of, of how terribly painful that was to live in that experience day in and day out of this fraudulent perception of who I presented to the world while this soul-destroying, weak-willed attitude of I just can't get it together. As a mother now to children and yet to know whether their, their lives will have the disease in it, I'm not naive enough to think that that's not possible. I wonder how challenging it will be if, God forbid, that happens, to put my clinical wisdom, my personal experience, my own recovery aside to be a humble bozo on the bus of Al-Anon recovery and not their sponsor, not their higher power, because it's tough enough on a good day when there is an addiction in the picture because that old characteristic of mine creeps in. So I'm curious your perception of that because you have both those experiences. You have your own recovery and know how to do it and do it well with a lot of help. And then people you love who are finding their way. Well, it, it's, it's, it's another critical component of the rest of my journey. And I have to be respectful of how I answer this. In fact, it's part of the reason why I've struggled with it in the book and, and this manuscript of how to deal with it. I think I finally figured it out. But at the end of Broken, I mean, I wrote that book in 05. It came out in hardcover in 06. It was came out in paperback in 07. It's still it's still in print, but it it stops. <laughs> it stops in 05, 06. Um, and and so when it ends, you know, Allison and I are 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 together. Um, I uh, I'm working at Hazelden and having a good life. Uh, and our children are not even teenagers. Well, guess what? Those little children at the end of Broken grew up. Today, my oldest is 29. Uh, my middle, middle is 28. And, and our youngest is, is uh, 24. And, or, and, you know, they're the product of two alcoholics. And we know what science tells us about uh, the genetic predisposition. So let me just say that I've had that experience. And I've had it not once, not twice had it three times, (laughs) three times, three children. And uh, today, if not for my ability to let go and still love, if not for my ability to recognize that each of us is unique and that there is no one way forward, um, recognizing that my children are adults, even though they're my children, they're adults. Well, it allows me to um, accept the reality of the day and still love them and still be around them. But it's 
a challenge for many of us who think we know better or we think we know that what works for us should work for others. Huge. I hear that from parents and spouses of people who don't have their own 12-step recovery of a chemical dependency when they meet their loved one's disease, think they know how to tell them what to do. Let me just add this too, and and I, I made a reference to this earlier. I know you've experienced too in your own clinical work, but the opioid epidemic, which really sort of began in 12 and 13 in terms of our public awareness around it and has been exacerbated by the pandemic of coronavirus. I mean, people are sicker now than they've ever been. And, and it's because they've been hunkering down or not going to get the help and so on. But the point of, of bringing up the opioid epidemic is that on average, 80 to 90,000 people in this country die every year of accidental overdose, most of them through accidental overdoses of opiates. And so I've worked with a lot of people, as I know you have too. I'm not a clinician, but I help a lot of people. And I remind parents and spouses all the time that they need to take care of themselves no matter what happens to their loved one. And they look at me kind of quizzically. And that's even true for those parents and those family members who've lost their loved one. In other words, their loved one's dead. They don't have to worry anymore about that father or that wife or that grandparent or that child going to treatment because they're dead. And I say to them, so your loved one is dead, but you've got to take care of yourselves. And at first they look at me like, well, why? They're dead. And I say, because you need to recover. And that's kind of the point here, whether your loved one is still using, whether your loved one is in recovery or whether your loved one is dead, your own recovery is what really matters. Absolutely. Pre, during, post, no matter the journey's outcome for the person you love, it is incredibly important. And the issue of losing someone to this illness, which is a very real possibility, as we all know, it is so hard to hear family members say to me, I can't set a boundary to have my loved one not live with me because I couldn't live with it if they passed on the street. And one of the things as delicately as I can, I will challenge them to consider is that is unbearable to imagine. Would it be any more bearable to imagine if they passed in your basement while you financed the disease? Right. Right. And it, it strikes me as some of and the magical thinking of we can use without consequence when we're in the disease, that this manipulates a family member in a similar way. Like we don't have the ability when we're in the throes of it to see the truth that lays before us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the importance of finding a community where you can share and hear other stories and how they've worked through this, what boundaries they've set, how hard it was to set them, but the reality of allowing the person we love to have the consequences that will help them find a solution for them. It's really, really hard. As I said earlier, it's, I used to think it was impossible for me to let go of other substances. I kept coming back to them. Well, I did let go of them ultimately. Um, But letting go of other people, particularly those that we love or that we think um, we know what's best for them is is hard. Now, letting go doesn't mean closing the door or turning your back. And in fact, I think that in this day and age, while we're always sort of lamenting the invasiveness of technology, 
one of the important aspects of technology that allows us to stay connected is cell phones. And so I say to parents all the time who say, well, should I, how do I draw a boundary or do, do you know, do, do I give my son bus money to take the bus? I say, no, but, but continue to pay his cell phone bills <laughs> because what you want to be able to do, it's hard to do it, but it's necessary is to stay connected to that loved one who's still suffering because that day may well come when they reach out and say, hey, Margaret, hey, William, hey, mom, hey, dad, I need help. And oftentimes it's that cell phone that is that conduit to that help connection. And I think the other piece in my language is set boundaries around the disease and love the person. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's the key. If if they can maintain that connection. You know who taught me that the best? You'll remember this name. Mm. Mrs. Carolyn White. One of the things she did so beautifully with everyone she loved, family, friends, anyone touched by this disease was still love them, still joke with them, still have a relationship with them. But there were boundaries. You can't be in my house if you're using. Don't call me from jail. You know, and that's what she did. And she did beautifully. Didn't mean that it didn't hurt her and struggle. But like, that's the beauty of recovery, even though it's painful, is she wasn't alone. She could talk to other recovering community. She could hear things from them that gave her ideas on how to do it. And she did service too. I mean, we know Carolyn shared with many, many people the beauty of recovery as a family member. As a family recovery specialist, I can't count how many times family members have sadly expressed how difficult it must be to find and stay in recovery when one has an addiction. I so value William Cope Moyers, the author of Broken, sharing as a man in recovery from his substance use disorder the truth of the pain of accepting his powerlessness over his loved one's journey being more difficult than staying in recovery from substances. I want to thank my guest, for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.